So uh, let me ask you a question. How many big kids do we have in the room? Just big kids? There's a few of us. How many of you big kids like Disney World? You phrase that? Oh, hey, that's not bad right there. I want to tell you all right now, I dig Disney World. Uh, and this past week, you, you guys know because you've heard me talk about this before, I'm in, a, in an advanced coaching network with uh, about 30 pastors from all over the country. And um, we get together every couple months in, um, in Orlando for about two days of coaching, which it sounds really, really great. But the truth is it's more like torture than anything else because uh, we're in a, in a conference-style classroom for two full days. And uh, every morning we have to watch all the families that are there for vacation, you know, go out in their Mickey ears and their goofy hats. And uh, we know that they're going to the parks. Of course, we, you know, it's torture watching them go out, but we get a little comic relief in the evenings when they're coming back in because everybody's so fresh and happy on the way out. But on the way in, you know, they're pulling some kid by the leg, you know, and he's screaming and crying and that's just dad. And then the kids are even worse, you know, it's. So it's, there's a little bit of comic relief there. But this past week, we, we did have a little bit of fun. We uh, were able to go on a backstage, behind the magic sort of tour of Disney World. Actually, we went to all four parks, Magic Kingdom, um, Animal Kingdom, MGM, Hollywood, well, it's Disney Hollywood Studios now, I think, and uh, Epcot. And was so interesting. Now, we all know that Mickey Mouse is not really like a six-foot live mouse. I mean, okay, it is live, but it's not a real mouse. There's a human being inside of the outfit and all that. Well, you know that but you're willing to suspend that disbelief so that you can go to this make-believe place and just sort of be immersed in the magic. You, you pick up what I'm putting down. You, you go in and you just, you just enjoy it. But I'll be honest with you, I've seen behind the scenes now, and so the magic is just all gone for me. Because I know how they do everything. Not, well, not everything, but I know how they do the big things. And so... Honestly, the magic in a lot of ways is just really, really gone. We went under the tunnel, which is not really a tunnel, but I don't have a whole lot of time to get into it. But in the Magic Kingdom, there are these tunnels that go all through the park so that they never have to break the show for anything. Um, And so, for example, you know, they have Casey's uh, Hot Dog Park there where you you know, go in and eat hot dogs. You know, a hot dog that ought to cost you $1.50 is like a $12 hot dog. And everybody's dressed up like a baseball player. So they don't want to cart in hot dogs and hot dog buns through future land so that somebody looks at a baseball player that's dressed like he's in the 1920s and go, hey, wait a minute, that's a baseball player. What's he doing in future land? So they do everything underground where you... You can't see everything being moved around and shipped and and those kind of things. But of of everything that we saw and everything that we did, everything that we experienced, um, one of the incredible things about the place was the culture that they have created 
and the buy-in that they have from the people that work for Disney. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard this quote before, but years ago, Steve Jobs, and I don't even remember the guy's name that he was trying to hire now, but he was, at the time, he was the president of PepsiCo. And Steve Jobs asked him, uh, he said, hey, do you want to make flavored water for the rest of your life or do you want to change the world? You know, do you want to make Pepsis or do you want to come and work at Apple um, Inc? And that was a lot of the feeling that I got at this place, at Disney. Those people, literally, they, they're so immersed in the culture. I mean, the guys, the executives that led us on this tour, their whole families work for Disney, which has to be cool, admittedly. I mean, it must be cool, but they are so sold out for something that's fake. I didn't say it wasn't fun. I'm just saying it's not real. And it was it was so weird to be standing on Main Street USA in Disney World, you know, and uh, holy smokes, you, you look down and there's the castle and everything and uh, the characters are all around. It's just, I mean, it's just amazing. And then you walk through this little gate that you can't even really tell it's a gate, but it, it's a gate. You step through that and then all of those buildings that are on Main Street that, you know, looks like old-timey Main Street USA, it's just a metal building on the back. Everything's a facade. It's all a show. It's not real. And those people are giving their lives to do something that's a job, and it's a good job, and they ought to work hard for it. But they're giving their lives to something that's not real. You know, the reality is that many of us live our lives just that very same way. We don't work for Disney World, but we spend our lives giving our lives to things that don't last, things that Jesus said um, are, are things that the weather rusts, moths eat, and robbers steal from you. Most of us spend our lives investing them into things that have no eternal value. And listen to me, never do anything significant with our lives. And when I say significant, I mean eternal. And I think the reason for that is that so many of us just have the wrong perspective on life, certainly on faith. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that so many of us, when we think about our faith, when we think about the Bible, even those of us who have been Christians like I have, I mean, I've been a Christian since I was eight or nine years old. I mean, I don't really remember life when I didn't know Jesus. And so I know that for people who've been Christians as long as I have, after a while, some of the stories in the Bible, if not the whole Bible itself, it seems like a once upon a time story, doesn't it? And I think one of the reasons that we question some of the stories in the Bible, is this real? Does God really do miracles? Does God really make the impossible happen? 
it's because we just look at these stories kind of like they are fairy tale stories, like maybe they belong in a magic kingdom or at an Epcot, or these are things that have just gone by in days gone by and aren't really real. And we have a faith problem. And a lot of times what creates the faith problem in our lives is just our perspective. And that perspective becomes one of fear. Listen, some of us are afraid to fully give our lives to God. A lot of us like to pretend. And we do a good job at pretending. Like the Magic Kingdom, they do a great job at pretending. They do a great job. They fool millions of people every year um, into thinking that what they've got is real when in reality it's a facade. So many of us sitting here in this room this morning, we act like we have faith. We pretend like we do. And in reality, our faith is just a facade. One of the greatest human factors that influences the way we see things our marriages, uh, the future, other people, God, the church, everything is our perspective. It's the way we look at things. We're in a series right now that's called Epic Faith. And today, I want us to try to gain the right perspective on faith. And I want you to hang with me for a couple of minutes on this. I want you to learn how to see through eyes of faith and not fear. One of the behind the scenes um, tours that we took was in the Haunted Mansion. Ever been to the Haunted Mansion? I can remember going through that as a kid, you know, a couple years ago. And just being scared out of my mind in that haunted mansion. Really, it was longer than a couple years ago, but it just seems so real, or at least it did when you're a kid. And then you go through the behind the scenes tour and you just realize that everything that you see in there, it's not real. It's just make believe. When you get older, when you mature, you have a different perspective on things. You're able to look at things and see what it is. And instead of looking at life and looking at those scary things through eyes of fear, you see it through eyes that are older and real. A lot of us, we have these eyes of fear or we look at life through lenses of fear. And I want you to change that. I want you today, if you never have before, I want you to start looking at life through lenses of faith and not fear. Let me tell you something. One of the great determining factors of your life as to whether you will live your life with joy or not, happiness or not, whether you will find God's purpose for your life or not, depends on your perspective. Whether or not you will have the courage to live with faith and not fear. Today I'm going to teach through some selected passages in the book of Numbers. It's 
too big of a chunk to just read everything. And before we get to Numbers 13, I want to give you just a little bit of context or perspective on the story. How many of you have ever heard of Moses? Do you know Moses? A lot of us know who Moses is. If you watch the miniseries, maybe you have a little better perspective on Moses and how he led the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and out into the Promised Land. And I want you to keep the, the Promised Land on your mind uh, maybe on the back burner, because next week when we talk about the life of Abraham as we're in this series of epic faith, we're going to talk about the whole promised land and what that meant to the children of Israel. But here is the children of Israel. They, they've been set free from their captivity in Egypt, and they've been out in the desert for two years, and now they are on the edge of going into the promised land. And this is the promised land that God had promised to Abraham three generations ago. That's a long time. And yet here they are, they've heard these stories about the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey. They keep looking toward this thinking, well, one day, and it just becomes like a faraway place to them, like never land, like maybe it'll never come. Yet here they are, on the edge of going into the promised land. And they are camped at a place called Kadesh. And God says to them, okay, now we're going in to take the promised land, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather some spies together, send them into the land, get a perspective, check it out, and then come back and give a report. Why send the spies? Because sometimes seeing is believing. So they selected 12 spies who went into the land, spotted out, and they came back to Camp Kadesh with their reports. Now listen closely to this part. Ten of them had negative reports. And two of them had positive reports. The ten spies who came back with the negative reports they had been looking through eyes of fear. When they walked through the land and did their tour, they had the wrong set of lenses. They were looking at it through eyes of fear. But two of them, Caleb and Joshua, they saw through eyes of faith. The ten spies who came back with the negative reports, when they walked through the land, the only thing they could see were obstacles. But when Caleb and Joshua, the two spies with the good reports, they came back and said, yes, there are obstacles, but there are some great opportunities. And here's what you need to know. This story has a tragic ending. A tragic ending. It ends in tragedy because the majority of the leaders, this committee that they sent out, had the wrong perspective. And their wrong perspective caused the children of Israel to stall in the desert and waste a whole generation of people because they would not go into the promised land. They could not see through eyes of faith. Their fear caused them to stall. Ten people caused a whole generation to die in the desert. I want to tell you something. God never calls a committee he always calls a person. 
Now, eventually, you develop a team to come around that person who's been called with the vision, but God never calls a committee. There was one word, and I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, I'd like to do a series called Butts in the Bible. B-U-T-S, not B-U-T-T-S, although you could do either one, really. But it was that one little but big word, but, that kept them in the, prom- or it kept them in the desert and out of the promised land. The ones who had the eyes of fear, they looked in and said, wow, this is a great place. But there are giants living in the land. This is a great place, but the cities are strong and they're fortified. This is a great place, the the place, the promised land that God has promised to us. But the people who are living there are very large and strong. Listen to these verses from Numbers 13. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men in to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. I'm giving it to you. Send them to check it out. So just think about that. The committee goes into the land already knowing that God has given them the land. But apparently they left that little promise out of their minds. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. That's why they came up with the number of 12. There were 12 tribes. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are the trees, or I'm sorry, are there trees in it or not? That's a big deal when you're trying to build something, right? You need trees there to be able to frame up and to build out. Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So they went up and explored the land. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron, who were the leaders. Moses is the leader. Aaron is his brother. Miriam is also there, who was the sister of Moses. And Aaron, she was one of the leaders as well. Ladies, just in case you want to know if there are female leaders in the Bible, absolutely there are. Uh, They came back to the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. That's a way of saying this is an incredible, incredible place. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. When we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites, which all sounds like uh, tooth decay, doesn't it? Gingivitis, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Just so you know, not to get too deep into it, but these are ancient enemies of Israel. And they are thuggish tribes. And so what these people are doing ahead of time is they're not just saying, here's the deal, here's what we're going to find. 
they're psyching themselves out. And I'm sure you can hear it in the tone of their voice. Oh, yes, it's great, but these great enemies, these huge enemies of ours, they are everywhere. They've got this place surrounded. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. He said, hang on a minute. Just cool it. Because he can see what's going on. Caleb is a leader. He, he knows that the tone of the conversation is going the wrong way. People are already murmuring. And he says, hold up. Wait a minute. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. We got this. Let's go do it. We can do it. We've got this. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the, Isra- and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of a great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Uh, the descendants of Amic came from the Nephilim, which were thought to be supernatural beings that were giant-like. And, and the last part of the report is, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We looked like a bunch of insects. I want you to see the major point of the whole passage. The spies of Israel let fear stop them from going into the land that God wanted them to take. And it was fear that kept them out of God's blessing and favor. It was fear that kept them from doing something significant with their lives. It was fear that kept them from pursuing God. They looked at everything through eyes of fear. They could not see things through God's eyes. And listen to me, it caused two deadly weeds to grow up in their lives and take control. Here's the first one. And I know you guys don't have message notes today. I'm sorry about that. It's the preacher's fault. I wrote this message late, so rip open a envelope or something. Write these down in the margins. But number one is they misunderestimated. I'm sorry. They misunderstood and underestimated what God can do. They said, but the people who live there, they're strong. The cities are fortified. Think about this with me. Just two years ago, these Hebrew people, the children of Israel, were slaves to the most powerful culture that had ever been on the planet at that time. The Egyptians. They were the superpower of the time. There was no greater army on the planet than the Egyptian army. They had horses that they had brought into battle, but they had created chariots to pull behind them. Nobody could lick the Egyptians. Except a band of slaves and their God. They forgot that just two years earlier, God, without raising up an army, caused the greatest superpower on the planet of the time to not just let them sneak out, but the people of Egypt opened the front doors 
and let these Hebrew slaves walk out the door. And as they're walking out the door, they handed them the wealth of Egypt on the way out. And now here they are just two years later and they're afraid of a tribe of roughnecks and thugs. Have you ever noticed that the longer you look at a problem, the bigger the problem becomes? Some of us create monsters in our own lives because we just keep staring through eyes of fear at a problem that just grows and grows and grows. Here's something that's interesting. 38 years later, when the children of Israel, you know, one generation dies out. Moses doesn't even go into the promised land himself. That whole generation that decided not to go in to take the promised land, they all die out in the desert. 38 years later, when they go in and take the land, they encounter a local girl named Rahab who says, you know what? For 38 years, we've been living in these cities in full panic, waiting on you to attack us because we've heard of the miracles of Israel and the might and power of your God. The people of God are out there scared to death of the people inside these fortified cities who are scared to death because they've heard of the greatness of the God, of the people of God. They were afraid of nothing. The second weed that began to grow in their lives and take over is that they underestimated what they could do. The people said, we looked like grasshoppers to them. I mean, they're drawing a mental image to the whole group of their people. You know, these ten spies, as they began to spread the report. I mean, they went recruiting. They went recruiting. And they would have these little division casting parties, you could call it, in the homes of these people. And they said, listen, in the end, we look like insects to them. That's just low self-esteem. They had a low self-image. They felt like they couldn't do anything big because they were too small. And listen to me, listen to me. There are some of you sitting here this morning, I know it because I know some of you. You feel like you can't do anything significant for God because you are just little old you. And you ain't nothing special. You just come from nowhereville. You went to Central Piedmont and not Harvard. Or you didn't graduate from high school. Or you have a GED or you don't have a GED. Or you don't have enough this or you don't have enough that. You're too thin, too fat, too tall, too short, too pretty, too ugly. You got too much money, you don't have enough. But you've got a low self-image of who you are. You know, you know what? Caleb and Joshua knew, they knew that the people of God plus God creates a superpower majority. Let me tell you something. You can do whatever God wants you to do because of God. 
not because of your abilities, the lack thereof, or the abundance thereof. But for some of us here, we're going to have to change our perspective on ourselves and push out this low self-esteem if we're going to do anything significant for God. I want you to think about the problem that you're facing right now. You know, the problem that you're facing is not really the problem. The problem is how you see the problem. These people were defeated with a negative attitude, and some of you are too. Because we forget the truths of Scripture. Things like, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Or, with God, all things are possible. And that's not just wishful thinking, that's the truth of Scripture. The word impossible is not even in God's vocabulary. When God gives you something to do it, by His might and His power, you can do it. And listen, when we look at life through eyes of fear rather than faith, three things happen. Number one, we get discouraged. If we were thumbing through our Bibles, we would look over in Numbers 14. Numbers 14 verse 1 says that all that night, all the members of the community raised up their voices and they wept aloud. They had a pity party. They began to cry. When they heard these reports of the enemies inside of Canaan, they began to cry. See, the result of seeing their problem with eyes of fear and not faith brought discouragement and it made them want to quit. It made them want to just sit down and cry. And we're no different than that. When we insist on looking at everything and seeing the obstacles, looking at the fears, focusing on the fears, and by the way, you steer in to what you stare at. You know that? You remember when you took driver's ed all those years ago? What do they tell you to do when you're driving at night? You don't stare into the headlights and the oncoming vehicle. Why? Because you tend to veer toward what you're staring at. You ever notice that when you're, when you're riding along and you, something catches your eye out the, the right-hand side and you turn to look at it, what do you do? You start veering a little bit right, don't you? You stare into what you stare at. And when you're always focused on the giant, when you become overwhelmed with the fear of it all, you get discouraged and you want to quit. The second thing it produced for them and it produces in our lives as well is discontentment. Numbers 14.2 says that all the Israelites, listen, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Wah, wah, wah. So first they mourned, and then they murmured, right? You ever notice that people who feel like failures make the best critics? They don't feel good about themselves. They complain about those who do. These guys had the opportunity to go into the promised land, and they did not take that opportunity. And so what do they start doing? 
they start murmuring against the leaders and anybody else that they could complain about, whoever was convenient. And then those two things lead to defeat. Numbers 14.3 says, The people said, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Can you imagine that? They're saying, as God just brought us out here to kill us, our wives and our children would be taking us plunder. And this is the line that just makes me want to scream. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt My, how easily we forget. They're saying, just a couple years ago, we were slaves back in Egypt. Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't it be better to be slaves? Where we were slaves for 400 years? They preferred slavery to safety. Many people would rather live and slavery emotionally, relationally, even spiritually, then risk freedom. They'd rather go back and be slaves than to take a risk. And the tragic thing is that these people lost their momentum and died in the desert when all they needed was a different perspective, a different set of lenses to see their problems through. But instead of seeing with eyes of faith, they saw through eyes of of fear. How are you looking at life? How are you looking at the opportunities that God has put into your life right now? Are you looking at life through eyes of faith or are you looking through eyes of fear? Okay, God has called you to serve in some particular area. But you're thinking, if I go and serve on this team or if I check off the box on my connection card to take the risk of getting to know some people. I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone. I'm afraid. Are you going to stay where you are, isolated from others, living in fear? For some of you, God has called you to the mission field. So how are you approaching that? Are you just going to spend the next 20 or 30 years of your life trying to plan B God trying to get Him to ordain what you want Him to do? Or are you going to look through eyes of faith and say, yes, I'm going to answer this call to go into the mission field? Are you going to live in fear? Or are you going to decide to live with faith? Ephesians 1.18 in the New Living Translation says, and this is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the wonderful future He has promised to those He has called. Literally, that means I want you to be able to have spiritual eyes to look at the world. Christians, let me tell you something. When we were born... We were given five senses. Touch, taste, smell, those things. But when you are born again, when you are reborn, you are given spiritual senses. 
That's why at times you'll read in the, in the New Testament where Jesus says, let him who has ears to hear or eyes to see. What he means is spiritual ears to hear spiritual things or spiritual eyes to see spiritual things. And I, I want to say, if, if you're not a believer right now, this part's not for you. This part really is for those of us who have trusted Jesus. We can no longer pretend that we do not live in a spiritual world. The greatest thing that Satan has been able to do to the church is pull the matrix of a make-believe world down over our eyes so that we think the only thing that is real in this world are the things that we can see and touch and feel and smell with our natural senses. But the Apostle Paul says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities of darkness. Jesus says we have an enemy whose name is Satan. The spiritual aspect of this world, the spiritual dimension is the real dimension. But we waste our lives doing nothing significant trying to live in what we call the real world. I have realized that for too long I have been living with eyes of fear and not faith. Not all my life, not even all my ministry. Some of you have heard me say this before. You know, when we started Rocky River Church, we, we had... No money, no members, nowhere to meet. And so when we started getting a few things here and there, like sound equipment and stuff like that, it was, it was easy to just put that all on the line. I mean, I, it just didn't take a whole lot of faith to do that. I mean, at one time, all the sound equipment we had, we could put in the back seat of a Toyota Camry. Our, our, literally, our setup delivery vehicle was a Toyota Camry. It was easy in those days to just say, we'll be all in. We'll just put it all on the line because it's easy to put all on the line. We don't have much to put on the line. You're thinking, man, there's $1,500 worth of sound equipment. I mean, 1500 bucks is 1500 bucks, but put it all in. Everybody was part-time. We worked full-time, but we got part-time pay. And when I say part-time pay, I mean like 100 bucks a week. It was just easier to say all in and live with eyes of faith. And you had no fear. Then as the church grew, you know, all of a sudden you had a few more staff people and now they're making, you know, more normal salaries and, then you have land and you have so much you're responsible for. It was just a lot harder to say, we'll be all in. Instead, you just start saying, well, we'll be some in. 
We'll put a little bit in, but but not really sold out. And what it does, faith-wise, it just puts you on the doldrums. And then you move your eyes around and begin to focus on different things. Like um, in the in the early days, you don't care what anybody thinks about you. Because you're just out taking on the whole world. Everybody already thinks you're stupid. So, you know, what's the point if it's a few more saying you're stupid? You're going to start a what? Are you stupid? Maybe. I don't know, but I don't care what you think. Then after a while, you start drawing crowds of people and and you start listening to your critics. You start paying attention and you take your eyes off of what you're supposed to be focused on and you kind of get lost up in all that. I want to remind you what kind of church we are. We're the kind of church where every now and again the pastor shows up on Sunday's wearing shorts. If it wouldn't have been so chilly this morning, I would have worn flip-flops. Now, if you grew up in a Baptist church like I did where all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted, you chime in the worship hour, the choir comes out, does, uh, does a big, um, I don't even remember what to call them anymore, um, big old fancy song, and everybody's uptight, you're going to struggle with that song. I did too. We're the kind of church that just shows up like this. We're the kind of church that doesn't care what people wear to church on Sunday. Because over and over again, the Bible says it's about what's on the inside, not on the outside. When we started Rocky River Church, we meant to be a church for anyone, not everyone. Because there's a church around for everyone. Everyone can find a church somewhere. But we were going to be that church where anyone could come. No matter who they are, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done in life, no matter how long they've been doing it, and no matter what's been done to them. And we're going to live by faith. and without fear, and reach out to our community with the gospel of Christ, no matter what it means, no matter what it takes, and be fearless about it. Because people need Jesus. You know what we need in our church? I just want to tell you, more than money, although money's important, we need that too. But more than anything else, more than money, more than anything else that you can think of, we need people in our church who will look at this community with eyes of faith, willing to do, give, sacrifice, pray, whatever is necessary to reach our neighbors, our friends, perfect strangers 
people who look like us, people who don't look like us, people who vote like us, people who don't, people who need Jesus. I want to ask you to be all in today. For the church, for the kingdom, and live fearless. And serve fearlessly. And give fearlessly. And love fearlessly. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for Your Word. It it has reminded us today that The old saying is true. You know, there's more than one way of looking at things because we've learned today that there's at least two ways of looking at things. There's a way of looking at the world through eyes of fear or eyes of faith. God, I pray that today, if we've never before, that you would help us to begin looking at this world, at your work, through eyes of faith and not fear. That we would be willing to go into the places that you want us to go into. That we would be willing and able to give what you want us to give. To serve where you want us to serve. It takes courage to be a church. That will be a church for anyone. What we want to do is be a church for everyone. Which just frustrates everyone. We're going to be the church for anyone. And we're going to do it by faith. Not out of fear. Or we won't stop because of fear. There are great churches in our community. We pray for them right now. And their pastors and their leaders. But we pray for our church and our people as well that we would always have the courage to be the church for anyone. Lord, just in a silent prayer, a whisper to You, we say we're willing to follow You, God. You lead us through the power of Your Spirit. And we'll go with your courage. We'll focus on you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Now let us go and love others. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. And God's people said together, Amen. We're going to sing one more song and then we're going to close in prayer. Beverly. Can I put you on the spot for something? I want to put you and Faye and maybe Darnell on the spot. Not to come up here. I'm not going to give you a microphone, so relax. I want to know if when the service is over, y'all would come and stand over here on the other side of these speakers. I just feel like there may be somebody here today who needs prayer.
If you're here today and you need to speak to somebody today about something that's going on in your life, if I had something going on in my life, I would talk to one of these three people. They're going to be right down here so that you can speak to them. If you're here and you just need somebody to pray for you, maybe you're a first-time guest here today and you don't feel comfortable opening up to say, this is my problem, you'll just walk down here and say, I'd like for one of you to pray for me. They'll, they'll pray for you. If, you. if you need prayer today, don't walk out of here today without it. And uh, just after the song is over and we close in prayer, in fact, while... Um, Jeff is praying. Y'all can just slip right down here to the edge. And again, if you need prayer, you come and see one of these folks and they'll pray for you. Don't you leave here needing prayer or just needing somebody to talk to without speaking to them. God bless you guys. I love you. Let's sing together and I'll see y'all next Sunday. Amen? Amen. All right.